believe in something this morning? Why don't you believe in a church? Why don't you believe in the glory of dominion that God gave us the power to build a building on a hill that stands for something in the community? That we're not afraid to stand up for what we believe in and tell the lawmakers and the rulers in this nation and every other nation in the world, Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's coming back and you better repent of your sins or you're going to answer for them. Hailing from the heartland of America, atop the high bluffs of Western Iowa, comes the voice of the church, burning with passion for righteousness and justice again. People that believe in Jesus Christ, that he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day, that he's coming again, and that men will answer for every idle word and every wrong deed, that there is justice beyond the grave. That is the statement that is made when you see a church and a steeple and a cross in a community and in a nation. And God cares about this building and he cares about the churches that sprinkle the landscape of this nation. And if you go to Europe today, you'll see cathedral after cathedral that were beautiful and they're empty. And if we don't get right in this nation, that's going to happen. Look around you at the sloth Look at the empty pews. Look at the big gaps. They didn't want to hear the truth. Believe in something today. Welcome to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in. Enjoy the sermon. introduced or reintroduced a historic doctrine of the church beginning with the Apostle Paul and stretching its way through church history. Only in the last century have churches largely lost touch of this foundational truth of the Bible. Uh, Cyprian in 258 spoke of this doctrine. Of course, I'm speaking Latin when I say extra ecclesium nulla salis. I'll write it out for you here. Outside the church ecclesium there is no nulla salvation salus. And Cyprian was the bishop in 258 who had a massive impact on the Christian world and the expansion of Christendom. And his name is spelled like this. In 258, he reiterated this doctrine that comes from the epistles of the scriptures. Then Luther, Martin Luther came along, of course, in roughly the year 1490, and he reiterated the same principle. Outside the church, there is no salvation. Calvin, of course, without Calvin, we wouldn't have the Western civilization that we enjoy, much of Europe and uh, America. Calvin had such a fantastic, overwhelming impact on economics. He was an extraordinary preacher, of course, but his doctrine impacted economics. Um, I was told by one member of our church that they took a class, I think it was in Western Iowa Tech, and whoever was teaching economics down there said that it, had it not been for John Calvin and the church, there would be no such thing as capitalism. So John Calvin has had a massive impact. Calvin agreed with Cyprian and Luther. Extra ecclesium nulla salus. Outside the church, there is no salvation. Then we have the Belgic Confession. I'm not going to write out the whole thing, but the Belgic Confession was a statement of the World Christian Church in the year 1561. And then we have, I believe it was the second Helvetic Confession. 
Some of these confessions were doctrinal stands of the church that impacted sections of Europe and, of course, world history. This confession occurred in 1566. And then you've probably heard this term, the Westminster Confession. That is from the year 1647. And then, of course, it continues up until about 80, 90 years ago when evangelical Christendom began making wonderful positive inroads into the world, but also bringing with it some negative baggage. We did some things wrong when evangelicals began evangelizing America. And uh, there was an overemphasis and a new phrase that was created. And uh, as I'm standing here, I want to say it was D.L. Moody, but it could, have, it could have also been Billy Sunday. It's hard for me to remember. But one of these famous evangelists who had a, a wonderful, beautiful impact on America coined the phrase, your personal salvation. And there is nothing wrong with that phrase. Salvation is indeed personal. We have a personal Savior. He cares about you as an individual. All of those fundamental truths are there and they are real. But what we've done is we've taken it and we've run uh, outside of the Scriptures and we've warped some things. And we live in a culture that is abundantly and exceedingly selfish already. And so you take a, a narcissistic culture that takes pictures of themselves almost daily and puts it on an, a social network, perverted, perverted self-infatuation, this kind of a culture. Even psychiatrists are saying that, that America is sick with clinical narcissism. I mean, the social media have exposed deep and abiding selfishness, self-focused mentalities and attitudes, an ugliness that is truly connected to Satan in the gross, dark hearts of the unsaved. And social media has allowed them to display publicly to everyone how perverted they are and how dark their heart is. And narcissism is rampant. It is out of control. We are, I would argue, being harmed as a nation, politically, legally, culturally, and otherwise in our education system. We are being damaged. We're being harmed by narcissism. And so you take this coined phrase that, by the way, is not in the Bible. Now, the principle's there, but the phrase is not in the Bible. My personal salvation. Those three words you will not find in any version of the Scriptures. But that phrase has become very popular along with judge not lest you be judged because it's all about me. You know, that's kind of what's happened to our culture. So we're correcting that and we're addressing it with the scripture. I'm gonna show you things today. I'm gonna to keep unraveling some revelation that I think even some of you don't have uh, based on observation, that you have no access to the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ seated at the right hand of the Father without the church. There are many ways to describe grace and it is a beautiful, wonderful, vibrant thing as blood is in the body of a man, the life is in the blood. And as the sap carries nourishment through a vine to the branches and to the fruit on the branches, so is grace to a Christian. If you don't have the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ flowing through you, replenishing you, renewing you, strengthening you, empowering you on a regular basis and at regular intervals, you will become sick spiritually until you die spiritually. And the reason why the institution of the church is so important to every single human being, lost or saved, 
If you're lost, it's important because you desperately need it or you won't go to heaven. If you're saved, you need it or you'll lose grace and become sick. The Apostle Paul says there is a great mystery. He refers to it as a great mystery. Of course, he was making it not a mystery by explaining it. But up until that point, because of his extraordinary gift of revelation, to take what had been a mystery and to teach it in such a way that people for the first times in their lives heard something, a concept they had never grasped before. Paul had an ability to do that. And so he took this great mystery. He said, behold, I speak of a great mystery. I speak of Christ and the church. And what did he compare it to? A man and his wife. Now, if you weren't here last week, you desperately need to hear what I preached because you won't often hear these things. But I gave about 16 parallels directly deliberately correlated between the act of Jesus Christ coming to the earth, being born of a virgin, being crucified, buried, and resurrected. I showed you out of the scripture a direct parallel to all of the natural principles that God programmed into the universe through the marriage between a husband and a wife. And it's remarkable. One of the things we talked about, just as an example, as God took his first Adam, and he put him in a death-like sleep, cut open his side, pulled out parts of his body, blood flowed and water, took the parts of Adam's body in this death-like state, and created Eve from those parts of his side, sewed him back up, allowed him to heal and to recover, and then woke him back up. God the Father was giving a prophetic parallel of what he would do in the second Adam, Jesus Christ, who was put in a death-like state. His side was split open with a spear and blood and water flowed. And out of that sacrifice came the parts necessary to create the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And with deliberate intention, the apostle Paul compares that act of the Lord Jesus having his side split open and the formation of a church, Paul uses the language of the marriage ceremony going back to the Garden of Eden when it says that Adam was awakened from this first surgery in the history of the world and he came out of his death-like state and God stood him up on his feet and the scripture says that the father brought Eve to Adam and presented her before her new husband. And using that exact language, the Apostle Paul says that when Christ arose from the dead, that he sat down at the right hand of the Father, and the Father presented him the church. That's just one example of the extraordinary parallels between the institution of marriage and a higher marriage covenant. How many of you ever heard of the marriage supper of the Lamb? And it's coming, and it is a higher form of covenant. It is a higher form of marriage, so high and so beautiful. It is actually and has always been God's goal, not for you to merely be married in the flesh, but for you to be married to Jesus Christ. And of course, it's not a sexual thing. The sexual thing down here is only for procreation. It, it gives us and teaches us parallels and principles that we need to learn and apply to our life as Christians, reproducing by bringing others to Jesus Christ. 
And so we've been touching on these things. And the, the church fathers knew something you desperately need to know. They knew extra ecclesium nulla salis. You have no access to the literal grace of God without the local church. You can't. It's impossible. I am the vine. You are the branches. And then Jesus goes and uses metaphorical language of people being hacked off and thrown into the fire. As soon as your life is cut off, you're literally cut off from the grace of the Lord. Now we live in a narcissistic, selfish, rebellious culture and out of that has come, for many different reasons, a homeschool movement that is beautiful and wonderful. And in many aspects, the homeschool movement has returned us to the natural law principles of the responsibility of a man and a woman who beget children to nurture and to train and to educate them. That is the way it's supposed to work. Everything else is subpar on some level. There are other ways to educate that are good, but they're not best. Homeschool is best. However, just like with the good preaching of D.L. Moody, just like with the good preaching of Billy Sunday and an emphasis on a truth out of the scripture that Jesus does love you and he does want to save you and he is a personal Lord and Savior and you talk about a personal salvation. All those principles are in the Bible, but you preach those kind of things to narcissistic culture and you'll have problems. And so there was a good message from Billy Sunday and there was a great message from D.L. Moody, but our culture can't handle certain syntax anymore because we're already in a proclivity of selfishness and self-awareness. First thing that happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve is what? All of a sudden, instead of being aware of God, instead of being aware of all that had been done for them and around them, instead of being aware of his glory and their walks with him in the cool of the day, suddenly, tragically, shockingly, they became aware of themselves. And they saw that they were naked. Now, if this happened today, Immediately, we would take pictures of our naked body parts and we'd share it with the world because we have no shame at all. That's how bad it is now. But I'm telling you that selfishness is the water of Satan. You're listening to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Don't miss the conclusion of this sermon after these messages. Our country is no longer in need of a great awakening. America is in need desperately of a resurrection. Now there's a difference between a resurrection and a great awakening. In far too many American churches, the Great Commission has been reduced. The emphasis is on really getting people ready to die. But the church is not here to get people prepared to die so much as we're here to equip people and how to truly live. I've written a new book that talks about this. It's called A Storm, A Message, A Bottle. You can get a copy of the book at beyondthewallsradio.com. God bless you. Welcome back to Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Picture a, a tree and its roots going down, a root is how I would say it. How about you from Louisiana? I guarantee it's a root. But the root goes down in the soil. The love of money is the root of all evil. I, people don't, 
They just think, well, it's the foundation of evil. Well, that, that's not really what he was saying. A root is a pathway, a channeling of nutrition. So if the love of money is the root of every kind of evil in the universe, Jesus was giving us a beautiful teaching with a picture uh, that, that the channel, the, the way that money is channeled to nourish every kind and sort of wicked evil in the universe. The love of money is the pathway, selfishness, greed, envy, lust, all of this love of money and gain. That is the pathway through which every evil thing is nourished and grows. But what does a root reach for? We know what the root is. It's like tubes. It's, it's nature's plumbing, if I could say it that way. It's pipes. What needs to go through the pipe of the root of a tree in order to feed the other end of it? Water. What is the water that the love of money is reaching for at all times? The thing that feeds and nourishes all evil in the universe is selfishness. The prophets of the Old Testament gave us insight into what happened. And the root of everything was Lucifer. And Lucifer began self-awareness. And he said, I will ascend to the heights and I will be like the most high God. And you read this text, and he says, I, 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 much like modern Americans. So selfishness is your absolute enemy. Listen carefully, selfishness will stop you ever getting grace. You have to have grace the same way that a body has to have blood, the same way that a tree has to have sap. And you have to water plants more than once, don't you? God programmed the world this way. I think people don't realize how many beautiful lessons are in nature. God designed everything, and the Bible shows us the parallels, marriage and our relationship with the church. Paul says this is it. This, is, this will reveal the greatest essence of the mystery of the Godhead. If you look at these principles... So we talked about a couple of things last week. You have to have grace. And one of the things that God created was an appetite. God, at the very beginning, I don't think people realize this, at the very beginning of time, at creation, he designed and instituted the church. Before he ever breathed life into Adam, before he ever molded Eve from his side, before he had ever finished making certain trees and vegetables, God the Father had already in his mind designed the purpose of the church. It wasn't as if God went across through time after several thousand years and all the trouble with Israel and one day he said to himself, man, I'm tired of Jews. They're so blockheaded. I gotta come up with something to do. Let's make a church. That never happened. In fact, God had already, always, eternally designed the principle of the local church in his heart from the very, very beginning. He designed appetites. He created time. And with the appetite for water, you're made to need water just like a plant. If you don't water a plant, what happens? It dies. It has to be watered and it needs water in intervals attached to a clock. Somebody say clock. God made time. Somebody say time. He is the Lord of time. It is his. 
That means your time, your schedule belongs to God. If your schedule does not belong to God, you are selfish and you are cutting yourself off from grace. If you cut yourself off from water, God put in his time in the schedule for your human body that you cannot go more than four miserable days without drinking. Did you know that? Roughly, a human can only live about four days and they will collapse unconscious and die if they do not honor the law of time, the law of the appetite that God designed, God programmed. It doesn't matter who you are. He made that appetite. If you don't get a drink, you're going to die. He made appetites. It was his idea. And he deliberately connected those to the clock. He's the Lord of time. Similarly, he made your body to require food in intervals. Anorexia nervosa is a clinically diagnosed problem where the indicators in the human mind that signify by impulse that it is time to eat stop working. It can be caused by trauma, stress, abuse, drugs, uh, nervousness. There's all kinds of sources that cause that indicator to, to break down and stop working. But people that get into the situation where their internal clock quits ticking on the necessary replenishment of food for the human body die. Anorexia nervosa will kill you. It is from Satan. Like all things that shake their fist at the time of God, at the schedule of God, there is rebellion and there is selfishness. And so God is the Lord of your schedule and he's the Lord of the clock. He shows you every morning when you get up and you need a glass of water. He shows you every day when you get hungry and you go, gotta go back and eat. God, your father who made you with your parents in the garden, Adam and Eve, programmed a clock mechanism in your body and you can't live unless you heed his schedule. Can you say amen? You need water in regular intervals. You need food in regular intervals. And then the Lord Jesus, referring back to that reality that he didn't create at the moment that he said it in the New Testament, but referring back to a principle that had always been since the Garden of Eden, Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone physically, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. There is a schedule where you must hear the word of the Lord or your spirit will be weakened until it dies. And on the seventh day, it says that God rested from his labors and that clock was set in motion. And every century that has happened since Eden, there has been somebody on this planet that said God gets one day. There's never been a century since the creation of the world when some faithful believer didn't understand that God gets 24 hours every week. Because you don't live, you're not sustained by just eating physical bread. Somebody say amen. There's a clock and he's the Lord of your schedule. If he's not the Lord of your schedule, then you need to change. Because Jesus shows us 
we have to partake in regular intervals of the life-giving, nourishing grace that comes from heaven. And you have to have it at least once every completed sixth day. It's been determined since the beginning of time, the spirit of a man and the spirit of a woman must be inundated with the life-giving power of God's grace at least once every seven days. Can you say amen? It's been from the very beginning and you need it. What happens when you get really thirsty? You start to get fidgety and uncomfortable. What happens when you're hungry? I know what happens to men, we get grumpy. You start getting grumpy. Now, if you went out and broke your jaw, I know this happened to somebody not long ago. Something happened in a car crash, they broke their jaw. And then they went to the emergency room. It was terribly painful, but they wired their jaw shut. And this poor guy couldn't eat anything unless it was liquefied through a tube for a season to give that bone time to mend so he could chew someday. Terribly painful situation. It wouldn't do you any good to go to the best buffet in town. Go down to Bev's on the river. They've got shrimp and all kinds of wonderful things. If you went down there today and your jaw was wired shut, you could get in the line with everybody else. You could stand there and smell everything. You could put it all on your plate and walk down with them. So it's possible to go to church once every seven days, honoring reality that you have to have the grace of God in regular intervals no less than once every seven days. You could do that, but if you've got spiritual lockjaw, you won't get anything either. There is one kind of person and only one kind of person that can get grace. The Bible commands that you are to grow in it. That means you've got some, but you don't have enough. You need more. In the same way that a man eats one meal, that doesn't sustain you for the rest of your life. You need to eat more. You need to keep coming back to sustain your life. This is why every seventh day, in the principle since creation, you need to keep coming back to the church to sustain your spiritual life. Can you say amen? The entire universe did not come from a number one. It came from a three. And you are programmed. You must have other people. Your personality type can cause confusion about that. Some people need people more than others, but everybody needs somebody. And there's no single human being that's ever been born on the face of the earth that didn't need the body of believers in our age, the body of the church. You have to have the body of Christ. You cannot get grace without others. Grace primarily comes horizontally, not vertically. So if you get confused about the term personal salvation, and personal Lord and Savior that you can just go hold off by yourself and you and Jesus are good and tight and you don't need the church. I'm going to tell you something right now. You might not realize it yet, much like if I, I've been doing a lot of this lately. We had bushes and dead things. I'm pulling them out from the weather. If I hack a green limb off of a tree, I could stand there and look at that thing for maybe four or five days and you'd think it's just alive as any other limb on that tree, but it's dead and I know it because it's hacked off. So there's people that can come to church and sit down, but you're not connected to the grace of God because you don't have anything happening horizontally with these people in the room with you. And if there's no covenant with the people sitting on your left and your right, I'm telling you right now, you might look alive. We might not be able to detect that you're cut off grace-wise with God by just looking at you, but God knows. And pretty soon the symptoms will begin to show. You begin to wither, you begin to get sick. Because even though you honor the calendar and you come in every seven days, it doesn't necessarily mean that the grace of God is going through you and invigorating you and restoring you as you sit in the house of God. 
And in that selfish nature, that narcissism in our culture, there's a whole movement now that say, we don't need an institutionalized church. We just have church with our family on Sunday. You're a rebel and you have no idea what you're talking about. You're disgraceful because you're speaking against something Jesus created that's important to him. And there's no grace in your life if you act like that. You must have the body of Christ. You must have a local church through which you fellowship. This has been Beyond the Walls with Pastor Kerry Gordon of Cornerstone World Outreach in Sioux City, Iowa. Check out our website at beyondthewallsradio.com. Thank you for tuning in.